Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I am back. Super excited to share what I've been thinking about lately. So, in breaking news, Wilder DeBoom won an award at her last day of the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Alpine program that she did this year, which was absolutely phenomenal. Side note, I now know that for future activities, I should not use the actual hope that she will learn the activity as the motivator. I should use the fact that she is going to meet new friends or hang out with existing friends as the motivator. The side effect is that she will learn skills. Wilder has become quite a fantastic little skier. So at the last day of her ski classes for the season, they handed out awards. And when Wilder brought hers home and I opened it, I about cried because it said, most inclusive teammate. How amazing is that? I mean, when I, when I was pregnant, I remember having a conversation with Tim and I was like, what do you want our daughter to grow up to be? Like what values? It's hilarious, which I actually think is a great conversation, but it's funny looking back. And I honestly forget what he said. Sorry, Tim. But what I said was, I want her to be compassionate. I want her to care about other people. So here we are. She's nine years old. She won the most inclusive teammate, which probably has a lot to do with being compassionate and caring about other people. So my first thing was that after almost crying, I kind of like my ego inserted itself into my conversation in my head. And I sort of wanted to congratulate myself. But then I realized that I really had nothing to do with this. And the trigger for that realization was when I was going through some old emails and I listened to one from one of my former guests, Kelsey Abbott. She's an expert on human design, which is where you do, basically she will do reading. She will read your chart um, based upon when your soul entered your body in this earth. And it's a really cool practice. And I got a lot out of it personally. But then I called her and I was like, hey, do you know what? Can you read me a little bit about Wilder's chart? So she had read me, left me, literally left me a voice memo about Wilder. And this is what she said. She said, Wilder, like you, is a manifester. And manifestors, the number one thing you need to know, Nicole, is that manifestors don't need parenting. (laughs) It is her power that's going to start movements. So how, how interesting is this? I think that the things I'm doing as a parent actually matter to her. I also love the fact that she's going to start movements and maybe being inclusive is the beginning of the movement that Wilder DeBoom was meant to start in this world. But at the end of the day, apparently, she really doesn't need me that much. And so while she may allow me to feel like I'm parenting her, that, you know, maybe 
that may just be her allowing me to feel included in her life. See, she's so inclusive. So here's the deal, my fellow parents. Let's keep giving our love and hugs and support to our kids, knowing that we don't really have much control. And really, we just need to let our kids be who they are. They're soaking it all in. They're smart little peanuts. And for non-parents who are listening, your children of somebody, remember that even when it seems like your parents are trying to control and dictate your life, they just want you to find happiness. So it's not so bad to sometimes let them feel like what they're saying matters to you. Boom. to boom boom update over. All right, folks, let's talk today now about our special guest, Sarah Gross. Once upon a time, Sarah was a women's studies and world religion student. She found a lot of passion in those fields and she was pursuing them. But then she took about a 10-year break to become a world-class triathlete. So right when I was leaving the sport in 2004, 2005, she entered it. I think she had her first top three spot on the podium at an Ironman in, in the year that I left the sport. So I didn't actually have a lot of crossover with her. And it's really interesting looking back. It's a little bit of a baton pass. I've been going through a lot of baton passes lately. I just didn't really know that that was one that was happening So during her years as a pro, she ended up winning two Ironmans. That's one more than me, folks. And she was always a top contender. But towards the end of her career, after her second win, which was Ironman Brazil, she knew it was time for change. She actually went on to launch Live Feisty, which is a media company for all things women's empowerment. They have this really cool women's performance summit that's coming up March 26th to 28th. I think you need to look into it. Their speaker lineup is top notch. Oh my gosh, my BFF, the Mernovator is one of their headliners. So definitely check it out. Go over to livefeisty.com and check them out on Instagram too. You're going to hear all about this in the episode today. We do talk about all things women except triathlon, which isn't really about women, but women participate in them, we almost literally forgot to hit on that thing that actually united us or uh, was more of a common denominator than anything else. But uh, I think you will find today's conversation to be surprising, to be fun, to be illuminating, and to bring you some excitement and strength to continue to make your life better. All right. I think it's time. Let's bring Sarah Gross on the show. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? We made this happen. I love it. I know. I'm so happy to be here. It's so fun. You're like, I feel like, you know, in every sport, there are these generations and you're like, okay, it was the Mark and Dave generation. Actually, we should put it in women's terms. It was like the Paula generation. Yes. Paula and Karen were racing, and then it was, I don't know, the next generation, who I raced against, right? Natasha Badman, maybe that was your generation? I don't know. I feel like we're the same age. How are we not the same generation? We're not the same age. I'm way older than you, girl. No, no. How old are you? 49. 
wow, you're 49? <laughs> well, I'm turning 45 this month, so we're not that far off. Oh but you God. do look amazing. In my head, you were like 31 still. Okay. <laughs> Dang. You know why? Because we do so many things in our lives, though, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're doing so much that I guess that works against the theory. Like, okay, stop. Pause. Okay. My wait. mom has a cool theory. Okay. That you should always tell people you're 10 years older than you are because then they'll always be blown away by how good you look. <laughs> you like that? I don't know. I feel like if you told me right now you were 59, I'd be like, am I allowed to swear? I'd be like, BS. Like, no. <laughs> you know what it is? So. It's what we chose to do for one of our earlier careers, which was triathlon, which I guess might age some people, but I think creates in general a youthful, like, I don't know, a youthful glow for the long term. Yeah. I think it's sometimes you're right. Like sometimes that joy, like that joie de vie kind of oozes out. It makes us look younger. That's, that's my theory. I'm going to stick with it. I don't know. Like, do you remember going to Ironman um, award ceremonies? And when you started to hit the like 60 to 64 age groups, the people would just walk on stage and they all looked so young. The older they got, the younger, more glowing, more vibrant they all seemed. I was like, this is the sport, man. It's going to keep us young. Yeah, I think it's partially to do with just staying fit in general, too. So, like, I feel like with sunglasses on, without being able to see sort of like the lines around my eyes. Oh, well, we weren't close could, up. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think just training and <laughs> staying fit and having, you know, like that. I think we're still in a place where fit bodies are associated with young people. Right. And I, and I hope yeah. that that's, I, I see that changing and I hope that it continues to change in our society in general, but I, I think that that's part of it. So our associations with people who are older in their sixties are also to do with like weight gain and, you know, with, with feisty media, we have a whole menopause stream, like a menopause podcast. Uh -huh. So like loads of talk. I've, I've learned loads about menopause <laughs> in the last few months. Um, just about that, you know, it's, it's, hormonal those that weight gain too for women in particular so um, are we way off track I, I no like there's no track I mean <laughs> oh, this is oh, perfect the so you know we <laughs> we came together post triathlon like you and I might have crossed a path or two but you know I I don't really have much memory from the time I was leaving triathlon <laughs> and starting my next thing and you were like this budding kind of star entering the scene right as I was leaving um but now we're both way out of triathlon and you're yeah. fresh into a cool career and I'm even out of that career so like I thought we could maybe approach today in sort of chapters or life you know, life cycles, right? We've had, we've we've been through a few life cycles, and um, I thought it might be kind of fun to just riff a little bit, share some stories, and give people some cool insights into how you got where you are. Love it. Yeah, I think that's a great direction. Can can I start? <laughs> yeah, start it. I I feel like you. I did. I had a failed attempt at my first pro Ironman in Wisconsin in two thousand and three. And I know that you won the next year, but were you there in 2003? No, I'm no. a one hit wonder there. Wow. That's amazing. That's really yeah, so cool. Maybe, maybe we haven't crossed paths. <laughs> it's really it's cool that you failed in your attempt at Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know what? That's an interesting, well, 
maybe we didn't actually do the same race, but I feel like there was some sort of, you know, torch passing. It's like anytime someone leaves the sport, somebody new is coming in. Mm-hmm. And I was literally like 2004 Ironman Wisconsin was kind of like, I hit the ringer, I won the race. And yeah. I was like, I got something new to pursue wearing yeah. that little skirt, you know, and I'm off yeah. to the races at a whole nother venture. And here you were bright eyed and ready to roll and smashing it with like the age group championships and coming onto the pro scene right as I was leaving, which I'm actually grateful for. Cause then I didn't have to race you a lot because you're such a badass. No, I don't, I don't know about that. It took me uh, where I'm feeling you on this story is it took me 10 years to win Ironman. Right. And I didn't win till I was 38. <laughs> so that's where, that's where our limited age gap is, is becoming apparent. And then, and then, um, but then once I won, like I won and then three months later, I won another one. And then I was done too. Like, and then I was ready to, okay, next thing. And I, and I suspect if that had happened five years earlier, that would have been, I would have had the same reaction. So I definitely, I definitely feel you on that. Like, okay, I won Iron Man now, now what? You know, know, we're going to go down this path because there's more like we're going to backtrack, but we have to go down this path. Okay, We are both in this like coveted position of having won a big one and hung it up. Right. Most athletes that I know, including my husband, Tim, and many other pro triathletes and other pro athletes, do not quit after they win the big one or retire after they win the big one. They keep trying to win again and eventually they don't win again and then they keep trying to win again and then they slip slowly down the bell curve and it can take a decade and it can really screw with your mind and your self-esteem and all the stuff, right? But we both kind of got out after some pretty cool wins. So what was, why did you know it was time? Oh, great question. Um, I think, you know, part of the reason I, I, I did have some of that, like, what did you just say? How the slipping it's like, down the bell curve. Yes, I had the slipping. <laughs> I definitely did. Because, you know, you have little successes along the way. So I had a number of second place finishes. Um, and when you come second, you kind of think, okay, I know I can come first, but then maybe it would be three more years before I and then I'd be fit enough to win again and then come second again. You know, a lot of that happening where the sport is essentially breaking your heart <laughs> like over and over again. Um, so I think, yeah, I definitely had some of that. Um, and then when I won, I think winning's addictive. So the athletes that stay in, you know, like you mentioned your husband or, you know, we both know a lot of pro athletes. I think once you win once and you're like, well, that was fun. <laughs> you know, um, I understand why people want to stay and, and try to do it again um, or try to win a bigger race or try to come top 10 in Kona or whatever the next goal is. Um, but for me, I think I had at that point, my daughter was, um, let's see, in 2014, my daughter was four, um, three and a half, I guess, when I won um, for the first time. So, you know, that the motherhood piece definitely um, means you have some different priorities or you have shifting priorities. Uh, and then I also, because I, I have a PhD in women's history, which is sort of where I came from. And I, I had other aspirations in terms, of, I didn't know what those were, but I, I wanted to use, you know, use my mind again to do something more, I don't know, 
what you want to say, like, I don't want to say more academic, but to just to use my brain. <laughs> um, and also to be creative too. I, I wanted to do something more creative. Sport is creative. I don't want to sound like it's not like it's definitely a creative outlet and a, um, a way to express yourself uh, creatively. I think that, but um, yeah, I just, I just wanted something different. So I, yeah, once I won those two, I really knew I was done. You know, I find a couple things interesting in here. Um, first of all, be like, cause pro athletes are a bunch of dummies. Right. But like, so many triathletes I know have advanced degrees. They're out of Ivy Leagues. They're like freaking smart as shit and they analyze everything. And But they're putting all that like super brain focus into what their body can do, right? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were, the field that you have uh, gravitated to is more about connecting with other people. And when you're racing, yeah, you know, the other competitors and stuff, but really it doesn't behoove you to become their very best friends <laughs> because mm -hmm. you're racing each other and it's really hard to compete hard against people you love. I mean, that's my take. Maybe it's wrong for you. Maybe that was the opposite. No, that's absolutely true. I actually remember, um, in, I won a European championships. I was on the British national team for a number of years because I lived in Scotland and, um, I was, it was the European championship race and I was swimming beside a friend of mine and that I trained with every day. And I knew she had been having this really hard time, you know? Um, and she was like, and she was like a brutal swimmer, you know, the kind of swimmer you come from a swimming background, right? Yeah. So you could appreciate this. The kind of swimmer who swims so ugly, like her, her, her technique was terrible, but she was so fit that <laughs> she was just thrashing through the water and I'm coming up beside her. I'm like, and we're both fighting over, we're both fighting over the same feet at the, at the lead of the race. And uh, <laughs> I was like, eh, she can have the feet. Like, literally. I, and, and after the race, um, after the race, I was like, what, it didn't actually affect my race in the end. But afterwards, I was like, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> like, why during a race would I give someone else the feet, you know, you know how important that is, right? With drafting and yeah. swimming. And uh, I was like, oh, I was, I was too nice. I, I wasn't often too nice, but I, I just had a moment. So yeah, I agree. It's hard to race against your friends, especially if you know their troubles. It is. And you know, so I can see why when there was a moment for you where you were like, my brain needs more, mm. that it didn't need more triathlon. It needed more of something else. Yeah, I, find, I, I think that's important. I had yeah. the same kind of situation when I moved on. And, you know, part of it, too, is that we we watch the other people in our lives perform as well. For me, it was pretty much watching my husband, Tim, and he was a self self-sacrificer to the, you know, hundredth degree, including our marriage. You know, like we barely have um, survived all these 20 plus years together and I just knew I didn't want to put that level of sacrifice into triathlon, but I wanted to put it into something else. Right. You know, so it's a similar, like when you're done, you know, you're done for a number of reasons. And I'm glad that it wasn't your body that broke down on you and told you you were done. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm, I'm lucky. We, I was talking to someone about this the other day, how there's different kinds of talent you know, when, as an athlete, especially in Ironman, and sometimes the people with the biggest engines actually have the most ability to hurt themselves because they can, 
go, they get enough oxygen to their muscles to go really, really hard. And then they like rip tendons off bones and shit. Right. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that. Like I definitely was able to train quite a lot because I could just take over. I could do all the run miles I wanted every week kind of thing. And that definitely also could help with Ironman training. Right. Well, yeah. And it's your form, you know, if you have good form, you're pretty golden, but yeah, that turnoff switch, you know, I think I've never had the, I've never, I have the turnoff switch. Like I turn it off, but I've seen people who don't have one. And I right. specifically remember some race in the late nineties in Claremont, Florida. And it was like 109 and Barb Lindquist, do you remember her? Yeah. She is winning the thing by like four minutes. I'm watching cause I was still an age grouper and, uh, all of a sudden she's just blazing, running as hard as she can. The next second, she's just on the ground, like passed out, hit her head, done. Couldn't, uh, it was done. Yeah. Because the turnoff, she didn't have that switch that was like, oh, you're hitting <laughs> overdrive. Right. Back off a little, back off a yeah. little. You still could have won. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Do you have the turnoff switch? I think I must because I've never, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing though. You could hit it in work too. So yes. maybe, or relationships or whatever, that turnoff switch doesn't just apply to racing. That's like a super visual, but. I tend to, that's a really interesting question. There must be different types of turnoff switches. Yeah, that's true. I'm thinking about it. Like, so I'm the kind of person who will keep, like, I'll just keep at something, you know, like I'll set the goal. Like, I mean, over months and years. Right. And, and not even think to go, Oh, how am I doing? <laughs> like, how is, how is my body feeling? How is, I, I don't, I don't tend to do that. It's like, just get on with the things, which, which can serve me really well, but occasionally I'll just end up in a, and I found this with my business too. I've gone through where I'm through parts of like, you know, a few months where I'm like, Oh, I've overdone it. Like emotionally, I put too much into my business, you know, and I'm not, I don't have enough to, um, would you say like support on the other side? Um, that kind of stuff has happened to me where it's, it's not really a, it's like a lower grade of the turnoff switch. It's not Barb Lindquist flat on the ground kind of thing, but it's like, Oh, I'm slightly overdoing it right now. I need to pull it back. So I have a little bit of a, something that like, vibrates low in my gut that says, pull it back. You know, actually, this is a really good, um, I think this is maybe important to try to identify because if we're trying to help people through podcasting, other people may want to learn how to identify when that's going on with them. And so for you, you said it's like a, it's like literally a physical vibration. Yeah. It's funny. I just go, why did I say that? Yeah. I think it's, um, I think at some point, yeah, this has happened to me actually recently because I don't know, you can probably relate to this, but as a founder and CEO, right, you, you start and it's just you typically and you're building a thing and then you start to employ people and you have to learn how to manage people, right? And then you, you know, and you have to learn new things and you have to learn how to, who are you going to hire first, right? And then you have to create systems, you know, and you, and all of these things that it keeps going and going. So you're just constantly learning in your job. And I don't know why I said that, but yeah, I think, right. So at certain points, my job goes over, (laughs) goes like, 
over a line where I'm like, whoa, wait, I don't really like this job anymore. Like I started doing one thing at the beginning of the year and six months later, I'm doing something different. So how can I shift? Um, so for me, it comes more from a sense of, um, you said, yeah, I said physical vibration, but if I'm, if I'm finding I'm looking forward too much to my glass of wine at the end of the day to relieve stress, that, that's probably a problem. Um, if I'm feeling exhausted every day, that's a problem. Um, so that would be my vibration. You know what? I, I will add on to that because I'm really relating. Yeah. I'm thinking as you're speaking yeah. about my signs too. If I feel a relationship is getting strained oh. because I'm not giving it what it needs, yeah. but you got to pay attention. That's hard. Um, that's one of them. And here's another one. When you're not fully in the moment, that's not work. So when you, work is done and now you got a three and a half year old or four year old daughter yeah. and she's asking you for something and you're getting crabby because you're trying to do something else. To me, that's always like, oh, I'm not in the moment of that anymore. That's a yeah. problem. So yeah. it's, it is, we're talking about a lot of switches. There's switch yeah. turning that has to go on on a daily basis and from a bigger picture perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Another one I just thought of is when I start, this, this sometimes happens at the end of the day, I pick up my phone to respond to a message in Slack or something like this. And, ne and I'm next thing you know, I'm scrolling through Instagram or worse yet, TikTok. And, I, and you know, 15 ha minutes, half an hour goes by. And I'm like, what, what did I just do? Like I went, I set my attention was to do one thing with my phone and I was off in a different place. And that's not really normal for me. Like normally I can stay on track. Um, I, and I, and I know that that's not true for everyone, but I don't really find social media addicting generally. So when I am finding it's consuming my brain, I am like, Oh, too far or too, too I'm tired. I, I either need a break, like take a break and come back. Um, or I just need to end the day there and start again the next day. You know, somebody I heard call that doom scrolling. Have you <laughs> That's a great term. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. it's so true. Actually, speaking of TikTok, so like I'm still of, yes. you know, the Gen Xer generation of like uh, another social media thing. But then I see people like you who have the coolest TikToks and I'm like, maybe I should be doing that too. Um, what's up with that? It's funny on your profile on Instagram, it says something like <laughs> you know, budding TikTok star, which I, you know, um, which I love. Absolutely. With your millions of views on your TikToks. <laughs> Uh, latest one was hilarious. I don't know. You got to tell me what's up with TikTok in general. Like, should we be looking at TikTok? Is TikTok purely for uh, like entertainment and fun? Yeah, I can give you some pros and cons. First okay. of all, thank you for bringing up TikTok because I do love TikTok. <laughs> well, you're a budding star, so people need to follow you. <laughs> um, what will I say about TikTok? Okay. The reason that I love TikTok is that it's like that, it gave people access to everyday people, the ability to edit a 15 second video, right? So if you take, like if you took YouTube and just whittled it down to like 15 second highlights from millions of people across the world, like of funny moments, like it's often just funny moments in someone's lives. Like I sometimes get, I get a lot of animal TikToks <laughs> because, because I tend to like them or like, you know, um, you know, things about seals and, <laughs> 
dogs or the dances, people dance. You have millions of people all over the world doing the same dance, right? So you could be super negative about that, right? You could be like, oh, hmm. these teenage girls and they're just trying to look a certain way or da-da-da. Like I've definitely heard, and there are downsides, right? But the idea that millions of people around the world are learning the same little dances and making videos of themselves and, and doing that, it, it like that brings me joy and I love watching it. And times when I've had videos go viral, little dancing ones and watched people, literally people will, it's called duet. They'll duet you or they'll tag you in their video of them doing your dance, you know, and that it's, it's fun. And it's not just about dancing. There's also ta- like so much talent on there, like singers and um, people, if any talent that you have, you can showcase um, and you don't have to do it for 20 minutes, like a YouTube video. Um, so I do, and it's also a very positive space. I don't know if you remember when Instagram first started, it was kind of, there was kind of this vibe. It's, it's, Instagram's still pretty positive space, but uh, it was kind of a departure from Twitter, which had started to become right. kind of negative sometimes. So people wanted a, a more creative space that was more positive. And I, and I think the same, that same vibe is on TikTok. Um, the downside, in my opinion, is that it is a bit, the way it affects your brain is a bit weird. So when you're like, you're watching things that are flashing, 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 and it is really fast. And that attention span thing where like, I think for sure that my daughter's attention span has been affected by um, TikTok or she, um, she'll watch things, you know, she'll watch to do like um, learn, there's like TikTok learn things. She'll watch a 15 second video about how to do something and she'll, be, and she'll think she's an expert. And next thing you know, she's in the kitchen trying to make slime all by herself, <laughs> stuff nice. like that. But yeah, I think that that it's it's it is quite addictive. It's more addictive than than any of the other social media platforms. I think um, so. That would be my downside. But overall, I love TikTok. I love being creative on there, and I think my brain works in fifteen second videos. Like I definitely find myself creating that way. Like oh, then it could go here and there, and then this is the this is the final thing, <laughs> you know. It's so cool. I feel like I'm inside your brain. Um, <laughs> My ramblings. Yes. Great. I mean, I was thinking of like Footloose and like John Lithgow is the preacher who was like, no dancing allowed in our <laughs> town. And Kevin Bacon made it happen. Um, you know, I think it's funny because we, as we get older, it, it there's just, there's so much that's being thrown at us. And somehow our kids are able to, I think, adapt wilder. My daughter talks about TikTok. We don't, I don't even have an app or anything, you know, we don't even watch it, but she talks about it because it's a thing and somehow it's coming across her plate and she can absorb it and probably would know exactly what to do. But for me, I'm like, Oh my God, completely overwhelmed. A whole nother platform, a whole nother way to communicate with people. Maybe at the end of the day, you just pick your platform yeah, I think that's it. like it's no, there's no pressure to be on TikTok. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not like everybody has to do it now or whatever. Like, if you enjoy 15 second videos and creating them, then go on TikTok. And if not, don't. It's easy. Yeah. I mean, talk about like a media company rising so fast. Um, this is the business that you're in. Yeah. After triathlon, you created a media company. Yeah. And Nicole, like, I didn't know what that was. Like, I, (laughs) I knew I wanted to um, do media of some kind. I saw myself maybe becoming a journalist, right? And writing. Um, I wasn't really sure. And then I got an internship with a, um, with a women's sports media startup. 
Um, and I didn't think they had a very good business plan. Uh, and I thought, Ooh. oh, I could. What's that? <laughs> I could tell it? It, was it was they're called Wisp Sports. Oh, like W I S P, okay. Women in Sport. Oh. Um, I didn't love the name. No, because Wisp. It makes it feel like you don't have much to you, and you're really yes. sort of skinny and bendy, and you could break. Yes, a exactly. wisp of a person. Hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So I didn't love their name and I didn't love their business plan. Um, but I did think I did have a podcast I produced with them called Iron Women. Uh, and we, and I thought, I bet I can get sponsors on this because I have, I know people in the industry, right. And in the triathlon industry. So um, I just, I left and I took my podcast with me, um, got sponsors on the first podcast and just started building it. So cool. So you, it happened organically you didn't start a media company. You started a podcast and it grew yeah. into something much bigger than you ever expected. Yeah. I think in my head, I thought I was thinking media company, but I knew how hard that was going to be. Um, and I wasn't hundred percent sure how we were going to monetize it. And, and to be honest, most media companies right now don't really know how they're going to be monetizing their stuff um, moving forward either. And people are diving into subscription models and memberships and trying to figure out how to make it work when trying to get people to pay for stuff in the online space that's previously been free is a pretty hard uphill battle for a lot of the established media, you know? So I think um, we had an opportunity to come in in an industry that was already disrupted um, and start, and not that, I mean, you're saying we're big, we're not, <laughs> we're not that big. We are growing and, you know, we're now like financially fairly stable and we have, you know, we have a business that's moving forward, which is amazing. I love it. Um, but, uh, well, yeah. you got to pause though, because this is something that we, we are both in the space of female empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. And what big is to you and big is to somebody else, completely different things. And so yeah. I remember for many years doing both sides of the, the dance. Oh, we're not that big, you know, like almost apologizing. But then also on the other side, trying to prove we're way bigger than you think yeah. we are. Yeah. And it's funny um, when one of your like assistants reached out, one of the women who, who works for you or with you, um, I was like, well, I think I need to let her know mm -hmm. how big my business was, you know, because it's one of those things I think where we don't do it enough. Yeah. And once you realize, oh, that person had a true movement or that person, you know, made a massive impact with this, that, or whatever, if we don't say it, who's going to say it for us? Yeah. That's, and that's a great point. Yeah. So, um, I will, I'm going to update my previous statement is we're not, we're not huge compared to um, the Washington post <laughs> or even, I don't know. Do you follow Betches? No. What is it? Like my favorite media company. It's called Betches, like bitches with an E. Awesome. I've been following their, the way that they do the way that they've built their company. Uh, Cause yeah. they have like, they've got 7 million followers on Instagram. They have a number of podcasts. They have a, um, a it's a similar uh, thing to us um, at, at Feisty Media. So um, we have, I think we have six podcasts now. Um, and so I've, I've been watching them. 
anyway. Um, so yeah, we're at, but we are, what we are is a media company that <laughs> that is making it, you know, um, and we're we're we've been able to serve communities, build communities that need um, that felt like they didn't have a voice. So starting with women in triathlon, we went there. Uh, gravel, the women's gravel riding community is amazing. Um, the menopause, I think I mentioned the feisty menopause. We have this, uh, the, uh, Celine Yeager, do you know who she is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wrote, she co-authored War with Stacey Sims. Um, and she's our leader on the menopause podcast. It's called Hit Play Not Pause. Um, and that just, when we started that, we had a launch. We had 16,000 people watch the launch. And then, so that's what I mean by we're not big. So there's not hundreds of thousands or millions of people watching our stuff but there's enough people that I'm able to say 16,000 people came and watched a new thing that we launched. Um, and it, that community, the menopause community is just so underserved. There's, especially for active women, there's not enough information. Um, so that was big. And I'm just, now I'm just rambling. Now I'm just like way off track. No, but <laughs> what's really interesting is that movements often start unintentionally and yours started that way. And it came based on, you know, it started from a need that you wanted to fill for women athletes like you. And I think that is also an important thing. You know, we don't realize how important it is to follow our hearts, to follow our guts and move forward on projects that, you know, might just serve us. But the truth is we know they're going to serve a lot more people like us and we're not yeah. the only ones. There's 16,000 other people like us out there, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're right. And that's the, that's the beautiful crossover too. And I see that in your business as well. I should also say that I do have a business partner called Ashley Wiles and she used to run a, um, a girls empowerment organization called soul girls. Um, and luckily she part, she came in a part, she's a big part of, um, of our growth and she, um, she actually built Dr. Stacy Sims brand on Instagram. We were talking about it earlier. Um, and we, we were, you know, it was her and I, that it was her idea that went to Stacy and said, listen, we need your message to get to more people. And we need to like take your science and break it down and make it um, accessible um, beyond the book roar. We need to keep moving that conversation forward. So luckily Stacy said, yes. Um, so that's become also a pretty big um a pretty big part of our business as well. Well, I think the the message is that you are continuing to surround yourself by strong women who have the power and knowledge to get more information out there. Yes. You know, to the greater community. And so it's like you're you're basically living the ripple effect right now. It's easy to see for me who's out of it. Like I'm in a life sabbatical. Like I did a big thing and now I'm rejuvenating myself because it's hard, Mm -hmm. you know, to do that. But when you're in it and you're on adrenaline almost every day and you're fired up by conversations and connections and, you know, learning new stuff, like that's what I see in you right now. So these connections, like I have an idea, let's see if Stacey will bite on it. Women are not small men, you know, boom, let's get it out there. And, uh, and when they say yes, that's just like, feels so great. Now your team is growing. Yeah. And it's, it's so great for me to see you too, like further down the road, 
right? Because I think it was before the show that I said, when do I get my sabbatical? You know, and you feel like that sometimes. So just having someone who, you know, like you successfully sold your business and are now able to take a little break. Um, that's a place I would like to be in a few years too. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the thing about it is that I guess you can plan for it, but you can't expect it. And we all know that things happen that you you can't control, mm-hmm. especially in the greater world and the economy and viruses and, you know, customers so don't true. pay and all kinds of stuff that you truly cannot control. Um, but you can try to plan for it. So I would say try to plan for that sabbatical, but know right. that y- who knows when it'll come. Just know that in your mind, you've said you want one sometime. So yeah. Because you you're a goal set. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like being like, I like that idea of like, I I have bricks in my mind where I'm like, just setting aside a few, like making a pathway over here to my exit. Yes. Yeah. But you know, that's also a really dangerous word, the exit, because I actually believed I would exit about halfway, like seven or eight years in. It took 15 years. Right. And you know, Every time you have either a a decision to make whether you're going to go forward and blow it up bigger or you're trying to troubleshoot something and you might have to go backward for a while, like those decisions can all dictate where you're going to end up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's just pause for a sec. Here, hold on. I'm going to pause. I'm sorry. I accidentally locked my daughter. And you, sorry. Uh, yeah, I unpaused, but we can, yeah. So uh, we're back from a slight intermission because even with best intentions, we occasionally lock our children out of the house, right? <laughs> I, I, My daughter was under strict instructions to come in quietly and not bother me until I've done my recording. And I, and then I just locked her out <laughs> and she I love it. In and she was banging on the window. So what's funny is my daughter has not come in yet, which she often does in her onesie on days that she doesn't have in-person school. We're still doing the at home halftime thing over here. Oh, wow. Are yeah. you homeschooling? Yes, but Tim is the homeschool parent today. Tuesday's my day to get stuff done. Excellent. So I'm locked in my little home office, but she still comes in and makes uh, makes appearances. And I always let her talk because guess what? Our daughter's voices are important and they need to know that they're important yeah. and that people will listen to them, right? Yeah, exactly. My daughter used to get my daughter to do the ads on Iron Women when we first did it. Um, and part of that was me wanting her to be comfortable with her own voice and speaking into a microphone. So I would write out what she was supposed to say. And then and then I gave her a section where she was, it, it was left blank. So she would be led by a question. So it might be my favorite sport is, you know, when she was four or five years old. And she on a couple of occasions described bike riding or running in a way that was just so youthful and joyful that was so fun so I, I put those little sections at the end of the podcast it was pretty fun oh my god it's so cool mm-hmm. you know I'm not surprised at where you are in your life it's kind of like you were meant to live in this world of you know all things female in fact I wore the shirt for you today oh the future is female excellent we often do like the future is feisty I like it <laughs> Cool. You'll have to send me one of those. I'll wear it. Um, but 
it's like you started in this world. You took a little reprieve and did triathlon for a while, had a kid, did a marriage thing, but now you're out, you shot out the other side and you're, it's like that whole triathlon experience was somehow a stepping stone from one part of your life to the next. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is kind of backtrack now. I want to talk about your early years and the work you were doing before you stumbled into the sport of triathlon. Great. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Can I start, can I start super early? Um, Because I think a lot of my, a lot of my feminism, I guess is the right word, came from like my childhood observations that something wasn't quite right in the world. Right. So I was a kid who saw myself as a leader and an athlete um, and then watched. And then most of the sports on TV were men. Right. Or then I remember I've told this story a couple of times before going to my dad's office. My dad was um, in charge of I think he was in charge of HR at that time when I was little in a community college. And I went into his office and all the men who were in charge of the things had offices around the outside with windows and the women (laughs) mostly. So there were some exceptions, of course, but most of the women worked in the middle with these desks pushed together (laughs) Um, and they were the secretarial staff and the support staff. And I thought, I remember I was like, I must've been, you know, I was young, I must've been seven or eight. I mean, like there's something wrong here because I'm a leader and I wanna be in the outside desk or the outside office with the window. And I wanna be in charge of things. And like the world is wrong, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, and that's kind of how I felt. Uh, that's, that's powerful. Like how old were you when you started to, you know, see the injustice of that? I think it's hard to know because sometimes you think you're, you know, you, you think your age is younger or older than it is. It's hard to remember, but I'm thinking seven or eight was mm-hmm. my, my first, but I, I did, I don't know. I would have framed it as, injustice but just me going what's what's wrong here like and also we were told I was told messages that were opposite to what I was observing too like I was you know reinforced at school as being like a smart kid quote unquote like you know um Sarah has good communication skills Sarah is a leader Sarah this is my report cards coming back you know I'm like okay I'm being told something that I'm looking to the outside world and saying is it possible you know or I am in in gym class, um, feeling like I'm very physically capable um, as a young person. And then, you know, observing a world where the only time I got to watch women doing sport was during the Olympics every four years, right? So I was definitely that kid who I looked forward to the Olympics and didn't really know why. It probably took a few Olympic cycles for me to realize, oh, it's because I'm watching, because I'm watching women, I'm associating myself with that. Right. And I'm thinking that there's a place maybe I could do sport in the world. Um, but like that's what the Olympic Games uh, represented for me. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think it's interesting. You said your feminism maybe was sort of founded in this, in these uh, observations and became kind of a belief that women aren't getting the same kind of opportunities or aren't maybe that's what what came from that observation right women are not in the same levels as men yeah in the so corporate like, world at least yeah at, at, in a number of places and then later when i studied history i realized that um a number of the like historical study is mostly done by men on men 
right? And we talk about wars and kings and leaders and and mostly, and very few people have stopped and asked, well, what were the women doing? You know, um, or there are places in history that I found where um, a woman was credited for doing something big and important, but the, the male historians of the time were, um, and I say male historians, because they mostly were, like at a certain point, academics were mostly male, um, were felt like maybe the person was named wrong in a historical document because, because like, well, it couldn't have been a woman. Women weren't allowed to do that. Like they didn't have, an, they didn't have the right mm -hmm. imagination. I don't think it's like, I don't want to sound like I'm calling out, I'm calling out men. Sometimes if you're, you know, your cultural, the cultural constructs around you don't allow for that, for something to be the case, you don't see it. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Well, it's, what's interesting too, is you lived a bit of an international life as a, as a young person, you know, you lived in various cultures, which I can imagine may have had different norms for men and women. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, maybe you could just share a little bit about your, your geographical path, you know, growing up and how these beliefs about men and women in each culture were like kind of flowed. Yeah, it's interesting. I so I'm often asked because my family moved to the Middle East when I was uh, 13, maybe 14 years old, and and I went to high school there for two years, and then I went to boarding school in Scotland after that. And um, but my family lived in the Middle East for 20 years, um, and a lot of people have asked me whether my feminism was born from that, you know, um, because of the assumption that women have worse treatment in the Middle East, and you know, if I grew up in the West, how could I be a feminist? <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of, which obviously I think is kind of silly, but I, what I observed from living in the Middle East really is that people will take people who don't have power and whether that's women or any group that doesn't have as much power as another group will, will take, will take power wherever they can. Right. So um, I, what I noticed was that um, women in the Middle East were much better at getting what they wanted in the home. Um, they, would they were in charge of large families and everything that was happening in the home they would run like they would were really good at running these and I was like I don't even not even a person who wants to run a home and a family really um but they like they had certain ways of um I don't know I don't know what the right word is but they had ways of finding power because that's what people do it's like you find power where you can if you're not allowed it and so um you know, different cultures will do that, will have people do that in different ways, depending on what the limitations are. So that was more that observation. Um, and in our, in our own culture, it's, it's different, right? Um, but it's also true. It's also true that like, women will take power where we can. So if you, like, when you, when we, we decided that women were allowed to go to university, tons of women <laughs> wanted to go to university, of course, right? Well, it's, it, to be honest, the word feminist, it's polarizing. It is, yeah. And so to even like say, yeah, I'm a feminist, people, you know, automatically, at least people in like my generation go back to burning bras and like, I hate men. If you're a feminist, you hate men, you know, or there's some kind of like you're against the other party in order to be for your party. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little bit about what the word feminist means to you. Yeah, great question. Yeah, to me, 
feminist means that you think that women are equal to men um, and deserve equal opportunities. Uh, you don't have to think that those, like you don't have to think men and women are the same because that's also probably not true. Um, but I think, and I think that like the, the patriarchy, or if you want to talk about words that are polarizing, let's go with this one. Um, the patriarchy is a system and we all live in that system, right? And we have, and we engage with that system. So when we recognize the powers, the power systems that exist within that and how we're going to engage with those power systems, it can only be helpful. And that, that includes us as women and men. So it's not, it's no one's individual fault you know, um, because we have culturally, we have, we all have these internalized notions about how things should be. Um, and we either, like, we either learn about it and try to change it or engage with it in some way, or we don't, right? It's the same with racism. Racism's a system, right? You actively choose to be anti-racist or not. And so um, it's not about white people being bad, <laughs> it's, and it's not about an individual being a racist or an individual being a sexist. That's generally speaking, while there are people who hold some, <laughs> who hold some beliefs that are pretty terrible, generally speaking, that's not the problem. The problem is a, a system that's created to, with someone's needs are better met, where someone's needs are better met than others. Some groups' needs are better met than other groups. Right. So um, then we figure out how to change that. Do we take the whole system down and start again? Do we sort of try to change what's already there? There's so many different ways we can change it. And it's hard to change it. Right. Like changing culture and changing institutional policies and like everything that makes up a, a system that is the world that we live in is, first of all, hard to name. And then second, hard to figure out how to change. But that's why um, I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why lots of people engage in that kind of activity as a, as a meaningful thing in life. I mean, I, I think that's a great way to put it. And I mean, would you say that your work today, you know, with feisty media is to help change the system? Yeah. And, and I recognize it's a giant system, right? It's like the, the question we always ask is how do we change culture? You know, um, I have debate, debates with people about whether that's possible. <laughs> um, and it's, there's, you could say both yes or no that that's possible, um, but you, you can make a small impact somewhere, right? So I'm not going to change a whole, our whole culture, just me. That's ridiculous, right? Um, but I could pick my little corner where I have a little bit of influence. I could find like-minded people. And then we can start to build something. And that's kind of why I went after media too. Cause it's like, I'm going to start creating content. Creating content's a great way to find out if there's people out there that agree with you. Okay. So let's create some content, find our people and start. And then also you're participating in conversations that are already happening culturally. Right. So I'm not the only person who's trying to change a culture around women in sport. Um, there's lots of people on that task and doing things in different ways. And so, like you said um, earlier about networking and finding your people and the conversation becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. It does. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to, um, you said you did high school in the middle oh, yeah. East and then you went, you finished up in Scotland and it wasn't like you rolled out of high school, a sports star and started in triathlon. You were pursuing a very different path at that time. Yeah. So I came back to Canada that 
at that time. I said I actually studied world religions because I was interested after being in the Middle East for so long. So I studied Islam and Buddhism and the Judeo-Christian tradition. My undergrad and my master's, I started doing more history. Um, and I did that in Canada. And then I went back to Scotland to the University of Edinburgh and did a PhD, my PhD in women's history at that point. And then while I was there, I started doing triathlon. Because those go hand in hand. Because <laughs> that totally makes sense. And you yeah. were in like the Mecca for triathlon. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was facetious for anybody who doesn't know. <laughs> Everybody um, doesn't realize that, that Edinburgh has cold, dark weather for a good chunk of the year. Yeah. I just, I find it interesting how people's paths twist and wind and that, you know, you were, your mind was opened up to wanting to learn more and understand more about w- what what gave people their belief systems, which is the study of world religions, I would think, you know, yeah. when you have this, this um, belief in something greater, I would say, is that an accurate way to say what a religion is? Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I think so. I think I, one of my observations was that um, religion, even, even in a society like ours, where um, we don't we have a lot of people who aren't religious anymore and don't associate with Christian. We have a lot of people that do, but don't necessarily associate who, who would, who the parents or grandparents would have been Christian, for example, um, or whoever. We have a lot of atheists or agnostics now. Um, and But our culture is still shaped by, culture is largely still, still shaped by Christianity, um, Judaism, and that whole tradition. Um, and when you start studying it, when I started reading the text in their original language, you can see that so clearly, right? Um, and, and I think we have to acknowledge that to move forward too. So I became really, really interested in that. It was like, a, that's where the history piece came comes in. Do you um, identify with a, a world religion yourself and your daughter? No. No, I definitely, I'd say I'm, I'm probably an atheist at this point. Um, it's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. What does that mean to be an atheist? I think it means that I don't believe in God. Yeah. Like I don't, so- I, 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 that, I, that's why I'm hesitating because it's hard to, it's hard to come. That's where, that's where the word agnostic can be helpful is you can just sit on the fence. I'm agnostic. I'm sitting on right. the fence right now. I don't know uh-huh. if there is something greater, but I'm definitely like, I definitely lean towards there's not more like this is our life to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need to make the most of it. And um, and when we die, we die. Uh, that's I, I'm leaning there. I don't think you, how could you ever know that 100%? I don't know if you can. I, I could die. To... They could be like, you know, the Muslims were right. And I'll be down in hell like, damn it. <laughs> but, oh. <laughs> you know, I think fences are important. We sit on them for as long as we need to. You know, and when you feel, if you feel called to make an actual declaration of what I believe, then you sat on the fence long enough thinking about it and you're a thinker, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you don't take things lightly. So I think that's, I think it's interesting. I also think that a lot of, a lot of athletes, um, tend to use this sort of default I believe in the religion of like outside movement, you know, or like I believe in the religion of trail running or like I find my gods out when I'm on two wheels or whatever. Mm -hmm. Does that 
feel like you're, I don't know, disrespecting organized religion or does that feel legit to you? I think it feels legit. I think a lot of people will have a spiritual experience connecting in the outdoors. Um, and that makes sense. I, um, I, I don't think, I'm not sure why I, like, I don't love the word, word spiritual, you know, like I tend to think I, I want an explanation for something, damn it, or it's not real. <laughs> I'm, I'm just too logical for it almost. But, but I do, I, you know, I know that lots of people have spiritual experiences. And if you, and I also highly respect other people's experiences and their understanding of those experiences, because it's not for me to interpret someone else's experience. So this when is someone so says they have a spiritual experience. It's like, okay, I, I totally believe you. And I respect that. This is so funny because we're sitting here talking about religion. I am, I don't have any kind of religious um, tie to anything. I didn't grow up with a religious bone in my body. Mm -hmm. um, what I understand about religion is that like religions seem to have like rules. Maybe rules is the wrong word, but like to be in my religion, you will join this club and this club consists of these beliefs or rules and you should follow them. Yeah. And some are a little more open and some are a little less open. And the word spiritual doesn't bother me as much as it might bother you, probably because I didn't study it. You know, I didn't study this, but I, uh, I feel like when you're talking about being spiritual, you're kind of talking about being open to the beyond, mm -hmm. like it's beyond our physical body. So maybe that's what makes some people feel a little uncomfortable, especially because you kind of declared that you think this might be it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. So totally. I do, you know, or is being spiritual just tapping into like your essence in whatever moment it is. Right. Like someone, you could definitely bring me a definition of spiritual that I would, that I would feel like, okay, yes, I can, I can roll with that. I'm just still waiting for that for that to happen. And you, like you just said, we're sitting here talking about religion. I don't get this opportunity that often to talk about. Yeah. Religion. So can I say something else that yeah, um, say it. It sits with me. I never get to say it loud, but um, in terms of organized religion, right. And um, I, I really, I have super respect for Jehovah's witnesses um, or Mormons, the people that come to the door, <laughs> those mm -hmm. ones. Mm -hmm. And any, and this is why is that and it, this bothered me as a child because we went to church. Um, we went to like United Church of Canada, just a Protestant, very liberal church. And um, but I used to hear these things in church and go home and tell my parents, like, if you really believe those things that you're hearing, we should live entirely different lives. Like, not that my parents were bad people, but and, and I'm gonna come to why I think Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons have my respect on this, is because if you believe that like in the Christian church that Jesus died to save our sins and people who don't believe that are going to hell. Right. If you believe that, right. It's fine. Then like good on them for coming to the door and telling me their beliefs, right? Like, because they're trying to save me from hell, right? Like if you, if you really believe that, wouldn't you absolutely try everything you could to bring as many people with you into heaven? Like that would be the way that you structured your life. And, and I observed in my family that that was not what, what we were doing. Right. So I'm like, so either you don't really believe it's true or you're kind of like, there's kind of this gray zone, right. Of like, of like, do we actually think that it was never really sure. Um, and so, yeah. So when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, I'm always like, 
thank you. Like, thank you for trying. Like, you're not going to get anywhere here, but I, I actually appreciate that you care about a stranger's soul. Like that's, that, that might sound funny, but I actually mean that. Like, so that, that's why that, there's my little rant. <laughs> I think that's a really uh, refreshing. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I think that's cool. And uh, many people can like probably jump on that bandwagon too, but also makes you think about if I really believe in my own beliefs, whatever they may be, not just on the religion point of view. I mean, that's why people, when they find triathlon and it mm. changes their life so completely, like you've probably seen this too, but I've seen triathlon break up marriages and incite marriages, you know, like I have seen the passion that people put into a sport like this, um, completely change their life. And then they try to, you know, get everyone they know to get into the sport yeah, with, them. you know, totally. it's the suffering and the comfort and because they'll go to heaven. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and we could, we could like, we can apply this to triathlon too. Like all the, totally. people, like all the, you know, people who, some might, some might find annoying on Instagram talking about triathlon or CrossFit or whatever they're into. Because that's your thing now, isn't that's it? my thing, yeah. And it's a joke in CrossFit that, like, everyone who does CrossFit talks about CrossFit endlessly. Um, but, you know, if it really is transformative for you, then then it's, it's almost like a responsibility to share that information. I mean, it is. I mean, no matter what it is. It could be a diet you tried, an eating philosophy that works for you. I mean... Hey, I've been, I've been the sober vegan for many years now, but I've learned early on that you can't push it on people. You can't push food on people. You can talk about it all you want, but when you try to push it on people, that's when you cross the line. They're like, no right. more. You're a salesman now. I don't want to hang out with a salesman yeah. anymore. <laughs> it's true. So when you got into triathlon, you stumbled into it and you were performing pretty well from pretty early on starting right out of the gates as an amateur right in the early 2000s yeah so this is my if, if so I, I have to describe it because people can't see my hands right now but like my trajectory went straight up <laughs> to like fairly decent level so I, I think I came fourth after after the fail in Wisconsin I came fourth in my first Ironman um in switzerland and i went like 940 or something which is like decent for your first iron man amazing like 25 years old or something and i was like wait like and to be fair i had trained pretty hard for that thing like it wasn't it wasn't oh surprise <laughs> it was like like i worked hard and and boom and then i kind of you know my my what you call it my path from there gets a little like zigzag 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 for 10 years right wow. so you're you're improving and you're zigzagging up um but yeah, definitely I, I had some early success. Uh, I think this is a typical path, like early success enough to prove that I'm in the right place doing the right thing. And then had to then trying to get the extra, you know, the extra 10, five, even 2% that I needed to perform at that next level to actually win um, was so hard fought. Well, and then you got pregnant and had a baby partway through <laughs> your career. And that is worth, uh, you know, a little bit of time spent because this is unusual. You know, women, when we use our bodies to make money and, and uh, you know, that our bodies dictate our success, mm -hmm. it's hard to take a break to yeah. have a baby. And then if you're trying to, it can be two, three years before you really bounce back if, if you know, safely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that's incredible. 
Yeah, you'll remember too, like in, I just missed the wave of when everybody started to have babies, like all the pro women started to have babies. I, I was before that. I was like in the flailing around group oh. of like, there was like a handful of people who had maybe had babies. I know Lori Bowden had a kid around the same time I did. And I was like looking for people who, you know, who had, were examples of coming back after pregnancy and there weren't that many. Because yeah. that's the point. Many people wait, they race as long as they can, and then they have a baby or they can't get pregnant because they waited too long. It's very hard to get naturally pregnant. So to have a baby knowing that you may come back is a really big deal. And it was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I was kind of burnt out, like I said, from, um, you know, from trying, I'd, I'd been sort of training for five or six years, uh, with, kind of mixed results like I would often come top five in Ironman um, which is fine you have a career that you're just ticking along you know and you're not really getting big sponsorship deals but you can make some money at at that time I think now it's different but I I was making a little bit of money I was doing some coaching which I really enjoyed I was just burnt out and I remember saying to my um my I guess my husband at the time uh did it like I'd like to have a baby because I can't I actually can't see myself training and racing next year like I was just kind of done that was in 2009 um so we actually then planned to get pregnant as part of a, like a year off a sabbatical see you have had one I have had one so we're yes. bringing this thing full circle like <laughs> you took a sabbatical to have your body go through a major transformation and then <laughs> pop out a baby and then try to figure out how to care for that child and you know, your brain does all kinds of crazy things and come back from it. And you were successful. You raced better. The other thing, Nicole, is like, I found out that I, um, celiac after I had my daughter. Interesting. Um, that, yeah. And that I have to sort of credit that a little bit with like when I found out, I was like, Ooh, this could be it. Like I was looking for 2%, 1% at that point improvement in my performance. Right. So I'm like something like that. Like, oh, imagine if I started actually absorbing food. That might help. <laughs> um, so I knew that, and my training improved quite a bit, right? So it's, um, that was a big, a big factor. Well, if we, you know, if we circle all the way back at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about why people might stay in the sport for what might seem too long, you know? And I might um, suggest that it has to do with passion. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a passion for something else while you're doing something that you still kind of have a passion for, even though it might be a love hate by that point, it's what, you know, it's comfortable. Why would you move on? You're still making a little money. Yeah. You know, you it's hard to make yeah. big changes in your life. Yeah. If you love it, then why would you leave? Right. That's, you know, it's, um, I often mention Dee Dee Grace Bauer in this light because uh, she is, I mean, she's just an amazing example of someone she's been able to continue performing well into her late forties. She's, she, you keep generation, you keep saying we're two different generations, but <laughs> we're, we're not, but I think she's about, she's about 48, 49. Yeah. Um, and she's managed to be on podiums in the last couple of years. I mean, when there were races, um, but and that's just amazing. And she, when you talk to her, that's what she'll say. I still love it you know, and, and Dee Dee's someone with an Ivy league education who could do several other things, you know? Well, you know, I would maybe as we're kind of rolling along here, 
we've covered a lot of ground today. <laughs> I I didn't know if we'd spend the whole time talking about like races we did and stuff. Like that, <laughs> but we really hit on like bigger topics that I think are actually way more important. Um, are there any things that you have gone through in your life that were really hard that you think looking back, you're really grateful you had to go through them in order to get to the next place? Oh, good. I'm going to go with my divorce <laughs> well, <laughs> or my separation. Um, that uh, I, it was me that chose to end the, the marriage. Um, and I felt like I wasn't able to thrive really in that relationship. And I'm so glad, like it was, there was a solid year of me working at half potential um, and just not having really from an emotional energy point of view, just not having the, and I was building my business at that time. I had already started Live Feisty. So um, I definitely felt frustrated for an entire year about not being able to put in the energy and the effort I wanted to and having to just take care of myself a little bit more. Um, but it was definitely worth it because I think I was right about that. I was right about having the right support around you. You know what, you know, they say like the, be careful of the five people you surround yourself with. Um, so my ex-husband's not a bad person. He's just, um, he's a little fearful of life and he, um, he lives in a bit of a darker space than I do. Right. And so, um, that was really, really hard. And so now I'm really mindful of like, who are the five people that I'm surrounding myself with and how are they influencing me? Because then it's, I think it's not a surprise that then my business started to grow. Like after that, we still grew in that first year or that, I guess that was kind of like six months into 18 months, we still grew, but then we just, everything just started to really roll after that. You know, I, this leads into the last question before we really wrap it. Um, it's interesting when you're in a relationship with somebody who is on one side of the spectrum, I often feel like it pushes us to the other side more than we might normally be. So did it make you like extra feisty <laughs> or extra <laughs> like embracing of life and the positive and the light side of life because you saw you were constantly surrounded by this sort of little bit of a dark cloud. And again, I'm not disparaging him. I'm just trying to understand. So like, if that was the case, I can see why you moved into this new arena in your life. Yeah. And it actually makes me think of the word feisty. And it, and it makes me want to ask you, what does that word mean to you? Right. <laughs> wow. You built I a business around it. No, built a business around it. I feel like there's a few things wrapped up in there. Um, one is that I do think, like, I think sometimes we see um, negativity or like fear-based questioning of things, if that makes sense, um, as somehow being, somehow being smart or like, be, like being cynical is mm. somehow seen as smarter than being um, positive, right? And, and I'm not really sure that that's true. I think there's a way to apply a like a rational, thoughtful questioning to things without necessarily being cynical about things. So um, I think I maybe would have tended like from my academic years to see cynicism as a good thing until I really lived with like a deeply, deeply cynical person and then realized like that's a choice that he's making um, and that he, you know, he could choose to see things differently or at least play devil's advocate with himself sometimes. Um, and so I, 
definitely. Yeah. So they're definitely, there ha it has to be like to answer your question, it has to be that part of, that part of who I became was, uh, becomes a reaction to living with that. Right. It, it has to be. And then feisty, interestingly, I did the thing like the brainstorming thing to get words where I did word association, like sticky tabs all over my office wall. And I, I had a hundred, I have over a hundred things that I didn't, I didn't find any. I had people coming in and doing brainstorming with me. I had calls. I like, usually I just come up with things quickly. Like I just go, boom, this is it. We're doing it. And for whatever reason, I, I fretted over what words I was going to use for my business. And then I Googled one day, um, something about like words that had been used to speak negatively of women, like, or to disparage women and to see if there was anything that I could like kind of reclaim or use in a cheeky way. And then if the, there was a bunch, and I don't remember what any of the others were anymore, but um, feisty was one of the words. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's a word that's like riding that line, you know, of like that will hit some people as positive and some people will be, will be like, see that as negative because they've been called, oh, you're a feisty one, you know, as a, as a girl or something like that. Um, so I'm like, oh, there's a word I can claim. Um, so that's, and, and we, um, at Live Feisty, we, uh, what do you call it? We say that, that feisty means being authentically yourself. Um, and so it doesn't mean you have to be like loud and dancing on TikTok all the time, but that you need to, but that you, but if you're authentically yourself, if even in a quiet moment, that's what being feisty is. So that's how we, um, that's our interpretation. Well, you've got something big coming up. Yes. Yes, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, so we launched a new initiative um, this spring called the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. Um, and we're bringing together experts in all kinds of fields about, it's, it's essentially about how to get the best out of our bodies um, throughout our lives as women, because we realized like from Stacey Sims and, and others in the arena that a lot of the sports science studies or even, you know, product development, nutrition science, even psychology, sports psychology is done on men. Like the studies are done on men. Right. And, and I've actually, I've actually personally been excluded from a, from a study um, because they didn't want, they didn't want women in the study because I, because we menstruate. So it screws up the results. And that this was like a few years ago, this was normal in sports science, like that's how they, well, women will screw up the results of the study, right? But then you have to ask the opposite question, which is then how do we know what information is for us? Like, is this information good for us, right? When, when the results come in and some of it will be, of course, right? But some of it won't be. Um, so how do we know? So now we have, you know, we have a, we're living in a time where there are a number of people doing this kind of study, but that information isn't necessarily available to the everyday person. Like, I feel like that's the kind of moment that we're in. So we decided we're going to bring together all the experts, you know, even through like social sciences, psychology um, too, because you can't, as a woman, as anyone, you can't perform without understanding how your cultural environment affects the opportunities that you have and affects the, um, your self-belief about, about what you're capable of, all of those things. So we're taking a deep dive into those kind of questions as well as the, um, as well as the physiology questions, like how do we train with our menstrual cycle, not work against ourselves? How do we train through pregnancy? How do we train through menopause? Um, so that's, yeah, it's the Women's Performance Summit. I think it's womensperformancesummit.com. That's where the information is. Well, and keep in mind too, you put an X in place of the E for women's because mm -hmm. there is a little bit of a gray gender neutral line there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we... 
intentionally use that the spelling of women with X um, because there's a there's a big conversation in sport right now I think about how we um, how we define the word woman and this is not a new conversation like I see people on Twitter who think that they're having this conversation like literally the very beginning of like the very first feminist writings right you're like how do you define woman you know and then the first first white feminist movements the, like women of color were like hey you're not taking our experience into account right like how you define woman is essential to a woman's movement right um and so we just because we lean towards inclusion always um we decided to use the spelling women with x uh to say that like anyone who identifies as a woman is welcome in our space um and that's just it's a signal of that um now that doesn't that's not to like not recognize that like there will be sessions that apply to different to women in different parts from different demographics and different parts of life right so you know, there's, there's sessions on pregnancy like that. That's only going to apply to some, if you're a coach that works with pregnant women or if you're pregnant, right. Um, or menopause or whatever, but a lot of the, um, so different, basically there's a million different ways to be a woman, a woman in the world. Right. And if you identify as a woman, you're welcome at our summit. <laughs> hey, you're living in the, the most incredible space ever space of inclusivity you are helping empower women. You are helping women find happiness. And I salute you for that. All right. Well, we are down to our final question that I ask everyone that comes okay. on the show. I'm ready. I have notes. Oh, you have listened. <laughs> um, so if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Okay. So my nugget, I, I did, I thought about this. Um, I think that this is an observation from coaching and also from leading my team that people tend to fall into two camps, right? That both should be avoided. One is that is the folks who will follow their emotional, their emotions, wherever they go and will ride this wave, you know, and can't seem to create a distance between their decision-making and how they feel, right? There's those people. And then there's other people who are the over planners, right? Who want, who plan every single moment of their lives or, or plan out even training. We can just talk about training, but this works for life to um, plan out all the training. And when something goes wrong, have no skills for getting back on track. So it's like, oh, I'm off the routine. I'm just giving up completely on this week and I'll start again next week, right? It's like, why? Why not start again this minute? Like, <laughs> why does the reset button have to be? So I think that those two things, like I think that if we can avoid those two extremes, you know, then we can get some good center ground. So having those skills to be able to separate yourself from like, I might be feeling this right now, but I'm going to carry on with the thing I want to be doing to get towards my goals. Being able to just create a gap between your emotions and what you're doing. And then on the other side, being able to like, let go. If shit goes wrong, if you've planned what you're supposed to do and you're ignoring all your emotions, right? And you're just doing what you're supposed to do, but it falls through. Just reset, reset as quickly as possible. Like how soon can I get back on track? And what skills do I have to get myself back on track? So I think, um, yeah, that's my, that was really long. Sorry. It wasn't like a one sentence. So. I love your nugget. <laughs> I've, I, we have a paragraph, a double paragraph nugget. And so <laughs> the second part is about allowing yourself to be flexible yeah. and to sort of like forgive yourself or yeah. Move on. Like you said, 
Mm-hmm. Don't be so st- stuck and stiff and all the stuff. And I think you help with your work. You help provide people the tools to do just that. No, well, I hope so. so. Well, thank you so much. I am so glad we finally connected. Yeah, me the too. T- the torch is now, it's still in your court. You're you're pushing. You're in a big career right now, and I cannot wait to see where it goes. Thanks, Nicole. You know, I'm going to be coming back to you in uh, in a couple of years for advice. And going, <laughs> How do I get my sabbatical? Can I start it now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, start planning for it, but don't expect it. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks, Nicole. All right. Wow. How great is Sarah Gross? Don't you love that she basically was on the track she was on and then took this like 10-year hiatus to do sports and then got back on her track? And it gave her so many skills and talents and takeaways and really just sort of like fueled the passion and the fire for her to do what she was actually born to do. At least that's what I believe. If you have a passion for your own health and fitness, which I know you do, uh, definitely check out the Women's Performance Summit. Go to Live Feisty. You can find it on their Instagram. There's a link there. Um, The summit is March 26th through 28th. Don't forget our favorite headliner, the Myrnavader. She's one of their keynote speakers, so can never get too much Myrna. In fact, I'm thinking about getting her on for a sixth episode on this world. Anyway, that's a whole side note. Here's what I would love for you to do for me today. Will you send me a note, um, Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com, and tell me, I've got 193 episodes plus a bunch of shorter episodes, which I called mile repeats. So I probably got close to 200 episodes total. Please tell me, what's your favorite one? Did any episode make a profound impact on your life? Like even a small impact, just what episode really touched you? And if there's three or 10 or 20, send them all to me. I want to know. I want to know because A, I want to reach out to those people and let them know that they made a huge impact on on other people and made their lives better. And B, I want to keep giving you more of what fuels you. So that's it for me today, but it's not it for you because you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.